Hello and welcome to the White Shorts podcast. I'm Bella Cartman and I'll be your host for the series. Now, this podcast came about from conversations I've had with players, coaches and fans of women's football and women's sport. There is so much being discussed on a daily basis about challenges faced by female players, the improvements we would like to see in the game and how there are these amazing women quietly working away to improve our clubs and associations for the women of tomorrow. With the recent explosion in women's sports, I sought out a platform where I could learn more about these incredible women and what they're doing for women's football in New Zealand. What I found should have come as no surprise, but this platform did not exist. So, the White Shorts podcast was born. This podcast aims to bring to light the work being done by these incredible women, along with highlighting some of the adversities they have faced by being involved in the game. Each week, I'll be joined by a player, coach or manager from around New Zealand for a fireside chat. We'll talk about their motivations, their journeys and crucially, what they've learned along the way. So come join us and we hope these discussions inspire ones of your own. Morning all and welcome to episode five of the White Shorts podcast. Today we're joined by Karori Waterside winger, Renee Bacon. Thanks for coming on the podcast. You're welcome. Hello. <laughs> How's it going? It's going great. It's great to have you here. Um, winger for Karori Waterside, you've had a pretty impressive career. I'm pretty sure probably <laughs> everyone in Wellington, everyone in Dunedin knows you as a player So, because you're absolutely a force on the field and it's bloody annoying to play against. Oh, stop it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, as always, start off, what is your first memory in football? Um... I'd say probably running around with my jersey underneath my playing shirt in Levin, absolutely freezing my ass off, hair down, no ponytail whatsoever, only girl on the team, soaking wet feet, scoring no goals whatsoever and losing every single game of the season. Oh, no, it sounds like a typical <laughs> Wellington Sunday game day, to be honest. Oh, my God. We've had honestly. a bit of a taste of it this week with the weather, that's for sure. Literally, I swear when I played football in the winter when I was a kid, it was just always like icicles on your toes. Yeah. Just because it was like nine o'clock in the morning. Oh, it was ridiculous, eh? Frost on the field, like... The oh. luxury of playing at midday these days is... Uh, it's so good. Yeah, we were just, yeah, I mean, we were just talking about late afternoon games, but it's definitely a bit better if the sun's come out by that time. Oh, yeah, totally. I remember being down in Dunedin and some oh, of God. the field was still frozen at the, in the middle of the day and you were like, what is this? I can't even take a corner because I'm going to slip over. Literally, like you just couldn't feel your feet or your legs running around. Oh, and then you, if you got pinged with the ball on your leg. Oh. <laughs> You'd be feeling that for the full 90. Yeah. Oh, it's just so awful. Um, well, yeah, I mean, speaking of Dunedin, speaking of Levin, do you want to just give us a rundown of your career in football so far? Yeah. Um, so born and bred in Levin, was there for until I left for uni. So I was playing for playing for Levin AFC, Um from the get-go, so I started when I was five. My mum coached me the whole way through. I was pretty much the only girl on my team the whole way. Um, and it wasn't until I got into, like, 10th grade that there was another girl that joined me. Um, and then she dropped off as well. So it was kind of just me the whole way through. 
and then I played reps and feds and stuff like that and then decided to join women's football when I was 14 and went over to Massey University because it was oh, nice yeah. and close. Yeah. Um, closer than Wellington, so it made sense. Um, I only spent a year there, then I moved over to Lower Hutt um, because they were the, um, the coaches that were there were the National League coaches at the time and they were like... Um, going to coach at Lower Hyde and I was like oh yeah it might be good to have consistent coaching throughout the year kind of yeah. thing um so I went there until I left uni uh uni till I left <laughs> high school um went all the way down to Dunedin as far away from home as I could get for some <laughs> reason I'm not sure why um played for the uni there and then spent a couple years there then went over to Roslyn um and then yeah came back to Wellington for for love. <laughs> Terrible. And then uh, <laughs> played at Waterside Karori now. So this yeah. is my second year in Wellington. So, yeah, I like to think of it as home, even though I've never really lived here before. So, yeah, yeah. That's, that's it. That's it. I mean, yeah, that's it. But you've definitely had an impressive run with pretty much every team you've played for, I'd say. Oh, I've played for a few teams, that's for sure. <laughs> Um, and you talking about all your clubs and stuff. You left a little one out there. Oh yeah, I played for a few national league sides as well, <laughs> just casually. So I, I played for um, Capital for five years when I was here in high school, and then played for Southern for seven years, and then played last year again for Capital. And it was quite funny though because because I'm one of the older ones, sort of in national league at the moment. Yeah. Well, yeah, you would have been, what, 14 when you first played for Yeah, I think I was like, because when I started, it was like the National Women's Youth League to try and encourage younger players to yeah. get into the mix. And it was like you could only have five players in your team that was over 25. Right. Um, so it was just like a, not a youth league, but a lens towards bringing in youth. Yeah. And so there was like a bunch of us that were like 13 to 15 years old that were all in the mix there. So, yeah, we probably started pretty young in comparison to how a lot of people do it now. Well, yeah, I mean, 14 in that National League is pretty insane. Yeah. And like a very high level of football to be playing at that yeah, age. Yeah, let's be fair, I didn't get much game time. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're certainly a staple in the team now, that's for sure. Yeah, well, my first season we won and I played... 45 minutes all up, I think Yo. it was. <laughs> last, like, what, and last seven season minutes? I played every single minute, every single game. No way. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. That is so impressive. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, we're going to touch on National Women's League later because obviously you have quite a unique perspective in terms of how it's changed over the years and playing, mm. like, that South Island, North Island and, like, the differences in that. But... You're also part of a national team in a sense that you mm. keep leaving out, even though it's very <laughs> impressive. Um, do you want to talk about that? Oh, yeah. So um, a couple of years ago, I got sort of into the Māori football space. Um, so I play for the Māori women's side. And, yeah, so my first year that I played, we played, it was the final year of a three-year sort of um, international sort of back and forth between Australia and New Zealand. Mm. So it was the um, the two Indigenous sides, so the, 
the Australian side and then our side um, we played here and then away and then here again and I was in that last year of that yeah. that three years sort of contingent kind of thing and then yeah. the following year um, COVID had messed up anything any sort of international oh, yeah. options so we played a like a north versus south game and that oh, was yeah. that was actually quite fun we did it in, in um, Rotorua and it was you know anyone who was from like Wellington down was a part of the south and you could and then upwards of that was the north and you sort of um, got to kind of choose how you put yourself whether it was where you lived at the time where you were born or like where you fuck a papa to so but any way that I looked at it like I was south because I'm Ngaitahu which is the south of the the furthest south you can go for iwi so and then I was living in Dunedin at the time my origins of like where I was born is Wellington based so that's all south so no matter how I looked at it I was south so yeah, yeah now it was good and that was a real awesome experience we have like a whole week camp type of thing and then just finish off with like a game at the end of the week and yeah yeah it's well a I real mean good vibe yeah <laughs> and I mean like I don't think a lot of our listeners will know that we even have yeah, a Māori right. football team. Like, it's very under the radar, unfortunately, in terms of, like, national football overall. But yeah. as you say, like, it's a pretty incredible incredible environment to be a part of. And, yeah. And, like, being able to have those international games as well must be quite special for you. Yeah, no, it's really cool. Um, I definitely didn't know about it when it first started up, um, which kind of, like, you know, they were running off, like, a two-man band, um, Lorna and Phil were just, you know, doing the mahi and like doing everything pretty much themselves and kind of going like spreading it around like word of mouth type thing. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so I got into it about four years after it started, after they started doing the women's. Um, and yeah, so I just kind of got into it because the word got down to um, Tessa at Football South oh, yeah. and she was just like, look, who's Māori? Like, <laughs> sent this out to every single person yeah. that had Māori on their comet and just sent oh, yeah. it out to everyone. Yeah. And then she was like, flicked me a message because, you know, we were friends and she was like, you're Māori, right? And I was like, yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> and then she was just like, do this. And I was like, okay. And then <laughs> we sort of like, you know, and then Chelsea and all of that, they were, they're Māori as well. So yeah. they, they got told about it and you know, they all got introduced into it. And then it turns out that there's a ton of Māori footballers and there's some really high-quality footballers as well. And I don't think people understand how huge that space could be if we put the time and the effort and the sort of like, you know, trying to get people involved in that space because there's some serious Māori footballers around the country and I don't think a lot of those people even know that Māori football even exists, that their avenue's there for them. Yeah, no, 100%. And, like, it's interesting that you mentioned that the way you got in it is because Tessa Nicole, who, as we all know, absolute legend. But absolutely. literally <laughs> just, like, hit up the girls, like, literally in, individually. Like, the fact that, I mean, and as you say, it's a two-man band. Like, that must be so hard for them to try run mm. an organisation like that as just two people. But it's unfortunate that, like, the team hasn't been able to get that wider exposure. Yeah. And, like, it's been going – I think I, like, Googled it. They've been going since, I think, like, 2000 
They've been going a long time. Yeah. I think they started with like a like a futsal team or something. Like yeah. it was just, you know, Phil and all of his buddies, <laughs> you know, just starting it up. And yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, the year, I think it was the year before I came into it, like Grace Jale was playing and like, oh, yeah. like Mona from the Phoenix, like yeah. she, she plays in it too. Like oh, there's wow. some serious names that come through, you yeah. know. Well, yeah, like, how did you find that environment in terms of, like, your development in football? Like, did it help how you viewed football, how you played football? Or, like, was it, again, just, like, another experience to play with, like, really top-level players? Um, it, was quite, it was quite an immersive experience, my first one, you know? Like, it was just all about just getting involved and understanding where we sit in sort of the framework of New Zealand football and sort of understanding what this means to us and what it means to our culture and things like that because not too many people think of like football being a Māori sport mm. but there's so many of us around the place that are Māori and do play football and it's a, it was so nice to have a space that we could make it our own and express ourselves and our culture and sort of like um, go through our journey and really understand what it means to be Māori and what it means to be a Māori footballer. And mm. I guess that, in a sense, gives you a deeper understanding of what it is to be a footballer in general. Yeah. And, like, and again, it was just another footballing experience, like a different coach, a different sort of... Um, angle on football and that's always really good to have you know um our coach for the the team Asher he's he's fantastic he's one of my favorite coaches that I've had so yeah even just having him there is um is awesome yeah well and as you say like we've had some pretty like top level players go through that mm. multi football pathway and I mean Abby Ersig who's arguably yeah our best international women's player is a I think spokesperson because it wasn't yeah, around. Yeah, just one of the ambassadors. Yeah, ambassadors. Started, That's yeah. the word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, what do you like? How do you think we can raise the profile of this team, and especially with the World Cup coming up? Like, yeah, there's just such an opportunity here to not only raise the profile of women's football and women's sport in general, but like Maori women in mm. sport because it's so important that that profile is raised and we do like elevate these people. Yeah, because. Like, it's a part of football and it's a part of football in Aotearoa and it's, like, it's such a huge space that we can move into. And I think that having the World Cup here in Australia and New Zealand, two countries that have pretty um, pretty high-level, like, Indigenous culture sort of ingrained into the countries themselves, like, it's a really awesome opportunity to be able to lift up the awareness of um, that side of things and getting our Māori football really invested into everything that we do and making sure that people who are Māori have um, have avenues to be able to go down these routes and like that stuff is visible for them so then mm. they know what's out there for them so they don't just have to play you know your mainstream rep football they yeah. can go and play for their, their iwi they can go and play for for Māori people when they can go play for all of the people that sit behind them and yeah. you know no absolutely and I mean I, I think a theme throughout this kind of podcast as a whole has been like how women's football in New Zealand is developing and opening up these different avenues for players that like mm. when they're coming through that kind of under 17s to under 20s stage 
there is so many more possibilities than what there was when we were younger, yeah. which was capital or southern, and then you literally go through. Yeah, I mean, we've said it a million times. You go through feds, you go through NTC, and then you either make it or you don't, kind of thing. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, talking about these other avenues in National Women's League, as you say, you've played. 13 seasons which yeah <laughs> honestly might be like a record like I that's quite a lot <laughs> yeah for some of the listeners who maybe don't understand how impressive that is like you'd probably be one of the people who's played the most national women's league games ever it's it's probably it's definitely i think the up there with like the number of seasons i'm not sure about the number of caps played <laughs> in the national league because like at the start, I feel like I didn't play that much. You know, I was yeah. that person who travelled an hour and a half to and from training three, two, three times a week for five years and didn't see the field that much, to be fair, <laughs> until like maybe my last season or two yeah. at Capital. And it was like it wasn't until I went down to the south that I got my first 90 minute National League kit. Oh, really? Like, oh, wow. This is hard. Yeah. Like, this it's is a lot, lot of running. Work. <laughs> <laughs> and when I was my first year at, at Southern, you know, we were quite weak. Like, yeah. we you yeah, know, yeah. hadn't won a game in years. Like, it was <laughs> getting points was oh, a hard thing, no. scoring goals <laughs> was a hard thing. So, it wasn't just like, it wasn't just my first. National League full game it was my first National yeah. League full game for like the bottom of the table and man it was hard <laughs> yeah just a bunch of defending running after the ball oh, I didn't like... realize how much running you have to do <laughs> <laughs> um well yeah I mean 13 seasons and yeah you've obviously played Capital and Southern like it must have changed quite a bit or maybe it hasn't like um reflecting on those kind of 13 seasons how do you kind of view the league now I definitely think that um the quality of football was so much better yeah like you just look at south right south mm. literally used to never get points they used to barely score goals and then they won the north north what was it the central south series yeah. they yeah. won that and like a couple of years prior to that, they made it to the semi-final for the national, like national league, and you know just the capacity of players that want to be involved in the south just shows how much better the football is. Yeah, for sure. Because you know when I got there, no one wanted to play for them because they didn't want to lose every game like by ridiculous amounts. Yeah, you know? no one wanted to do that, so they didn't want to play. Um, but yeah, so. I definitely think that the quality has gotten a lot better and it's become more even across the board, I think. Yeah. And I think going into club-based for the for the North North Island will be very interesting this year. Yeah. Well, I mean, for yeah, some of the listeners, as Renee just said, it's moving into this club base. I don't know why I just called you Renee. I don't think I've ever called you Renee in my life. Bacon, bakes. Bakes, thanks, fella. <laughs> um, it's moving into this club base model, which I think we briefly touched on in Lena's episode as well. So the top mm. two clubs from each league around the North Island will now yeah. qualify for the National Women's League rather than people being chosen or selected for these like capital teams, which is like these federation representative mm. teams. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's definitely 
going to be, be interesting. Yeah, because it's, be I mean, it's moving from having the best players in the region to clubs having to build a whole squad yeah. that's able to perform at every single game. Yeah, I think um, the longevity of some of the, some players who haven't played National League before and will get to play National mm. League will be quite, quite a difficult thing. I guess as well, to, like, as you mentioned, when you first played for Capital, like, you weren't getting much game time. And mm. with this new club model, there's going to be some younger girls who are in these teams that qualify mm. but aren't necessarily starting players or they've been brought in by the coach for their development. Yeah. And they're kind of on that cusp of being a solid team member, but it's like they're there for development. So, like, what would be like some advice maybe from someone who's been in that position and now has like as a starter is a very solid part of the team to like make sure you don't kind of get downtrodden when you're in that position? Yeah, like I know that it's hard. Um, like for me, it was you know when the team got named, it was it was really obvious. It would happen on like the Thursday night or whatever, and everyone who got named would take their kit bag. And it was kind of like my mum would wait for me in the car and should know if I made the squad that weekend or not because I'd have the kit bag with me, like with my my travelling kit and stuff in it. And it was just like that physical thing for me was quite like, it was quite heartbreaking. Um, But, you know, those couple of times that I did get that bag, I'd walk out to the (laughs) car and mum would be like, oh, so you're playing this yeah, weekend? Yeah, bag you got there. Cancel the plans, you know. <laughs> I'm actually heading off to Christchurch this weekend, yeah. sorry. <laughs> yeah, nah, um, I reckon that it's such a hard position to be in, but you just have to really understand that the reason why you're there and, you know, the important thing for you is what are you getting out of trainings? Like, what are you getting out of being with all of these older girls that have all of this experience like how are you utilizing their knowledge and their experience Mm. like are you coming into trainings and trying to get the most out of it and using your maybe inexperience and your lack of knowledge to your advantage like Mm. are you going out there and trying to find the answers to things are you watching um, those older players and seeing what they do and asking them questions like make them like know that they're your role model yeah you know yeah like I I used to really like a young player down in the south Georgia Kennedy she she is such a prober she asks so many questions and she really watches the older girls play and you can see that she is watching them because then she does the stuff and you can yeah. see her. You can see in, her like yeah. eyes tracking players yeah. as they move around the field, and she's got this like questioning look on her yeah. face. And if if she's not playing, she's watching the game for her own personal yeah. benefit. Like she's doing it to her, to better her game, and like doing stuff like that is is really important. And making sure that you know why you're there, and you know that you're going to get there eventually. You're yeah. going to get game time. And when you do get game time, you've got to make the most of it. Oh, absolutely. you got to, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like, just go out there and go for it. But also, it, like, reflects really well to the coach. Like, yeah. it shows that you are, like, vested in the whole team's, yeah. like, success. And mm. you do want to be there eventually. And, like, it's – well, I know from, like, yeah, a coaching position, like, to see a player engage in that way is just so yeah. exciting and it, 
makes you want them to succeed as well. Yeah. And like as a as an older player who, you know, might be seen as a role model to younger players, it's kind of like a when they ask you a question like that or you can see them watching you play um, or like they come and talk to you after the game, it's like kind of like a, a wake up call as to how you how you are as a mm. player and, you know, really makes you reflect on the things that you do during the game because who's watching you, yeah. you know, like what, what young girl is watching you play and using you as a role model for how they play. Yeah, no, yeah. for sure. And I think as well, like, it's cool that you mentioned that because, I mean, with Lena in our first episode, we discussed like younger players coming into these new teams and, mm. you know, as a young player or as a new player to any team, really, yeah. you're absolutely terrified because you're walking into a team of girls that on the face of it seem all very tight-knit and close usually. Yeah. Usually. And so, yeah, usually, <laughs> maybe some internal dramas somewhere, but anyway, um, but yeah, like, and as that older player role model, like, if you have someone come up to you and just, like, ask you questions, it's not, like, a bad thing in any way, it doesn't annoy oh, no. you or... no, never. Um, it's just, like, it's exciting to see people want to be a part of the team. Um, I mean, yeah, we're talking about being that older role model, like, you play for Karori Waterside now, um mm. and you're definitely a staple in the team um <laughs> and so Corey Waterside is local club in Wellington based in Corey obviously yeah. um you guys won the league yeah won the league last year we had quite a stellar team to be honest <laughs> Just, it was I reckon I reckon if we went club based last year for national yeah. league we would have done pretty well you guys and with this two two clubs qualifying for National Women's League. Yeah. They've also brought in like a little asterisk they put at the bottom of the page there on that rule. Do you want to talk a bit about that? Oh, yeah. Or clubs need a seconds team as well for their premier women's team to qualify. Yeah, so we we have been the only women's team at Karui for a while. And I'm not sure how long. I think it's been a while. And I believe that you have to have a seconds women's team to qualify for national league so you don't have to either come first or second in the central league here but you also I believe have to be showing some form of women's development so in essence have a seconds team have a team that's not just your first team so then you're showing some form of um, like priority towards women's development as a club and it was kind of the same with the National League when it was the Federation base. You had a, a youth team to go along with it. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so we we had to, thinking about that and the, you know, thinking about potentially being able to play National League this year, we were thinking about those sort of things at the start of the year and being like, we need a seconds team. Yeah. Which, you know, we need to have that. Pretty hard to pull out of thin air. Yeah, and... As a first team ourselves, we pretty much did it all ourselves. Yeah. And it was our players that drove that. It was a few of our players going down to the Massey Open Days to get all the students who weren't playing for Vic Uni because they've got their own team, but Massey don't. And then, you know, it was making flyers and putting them up around the city and, you know, running sausage sizzles and open days for women's football mm. 
all pretty much player led by the first team and it was like just a few a few of the girls just leading that charge pretty much by themselves. Yeah, which is like I mean it's amazing that and you guys have a seconds team now. So Yeah, we have a seconds team. Yeah. They've played two games and yeah, they're doing they're doing great. They're having a really awesome time and they absolutely love it. And yeah. I'm pretty sure like none of them have ever really played football before. Yeah, so it's like absolutely, and I mean, it's women's development, like it's achieved that and it's amazing what your girls have been able to do in pulling together this team. Yeah. But like it is, like do you reflect back on that whole process and be a bit like why did it come down to us yeah. and kind of not the club or kind of the yeah. wider capital football, like yeah. knowing that this was coming in, and, like, not to put the blame on anyone because it's no one's fault, mm. but it's a pretty tough situation to be told this and then not receive any support yeah. in actually implementing it. It has been quite tough, and I know that some of the girls that are sort of, you know, being the real leaders in that charge are finding a little bit frustrating, mm. um, you know, when we, we need funding for certain things in the women's space and like I know that the funding's out there because yeah. you know like for my job I do a lot of that stuff like anyway and so I know that that stuff is out there for the woman and girls space and it's so easy to get funding for women and girls but then you know the the clubs don't want to have to do that because it's another thing that they don't feel like they have resources for but then we try and do it personally, but then they say, oh, no, all funding has to be done through the club kind of mm. thing. So it's just, it feels like it, we get told to do one thing and then and then we end up not being allowed to do it or, you know, it has to go through certain avenues. But we just want to get it done and we just want to have this stuff available and we want to have it easily accessible for these new players and things like that. And it's just a shame that, like it comes down to players doing that. Yeah. You know? For sure. Like well, and as you say, like you're all already playing for a top yeah. team, which is a massive time commitment. You all work full-time jobs yeah, outside of the club. You all already volunteer a lot of time to the club anyway because that's mm. like as a player, you kind of commit yourself to the club and the um, community stuff that comes yeah, along with down it. down there with the little kiddies. Exactly. The like you're helping out with like younger trainings and, you know, that's just the way it goes. But do you feel like there's always this kind of disconnect between like, you know, actual clubs and players in these just local clubs and maybe that higher level of like football or is it just a fact of like we've kind of gotten down this rabbit hole of funding and resources are hard to access and no one really knows how to change it mm. at this point? Yeah, I definitely think that... Um like in the woman's space, it still feels like women are an afterthought and it just sort of, you know, feels like it's not equitable and things like that. And it's not necessarily that the resources aren't there because you can see that they're there, they're just not being distributed equally. And I think that that's sort of hard, especially when it's quite obvious and you can sort of see it. Mm. Um, but then when it comes to like funding and things like that and resources, I definitely think that there probably could be a little bit more open support from like the higher levels down to the clubs that potentially don't have those resources or, um, you know, things like that. And just making it really obvious and really accessible for them to be able to gain these resources yeah. um, would be quite like a stepping stone towards helping 
people like in the woman and girl space that do tend to get less of a lot of things and maybe you know getting into the inclusion space like mm. people who don't tend to get much of anything you know mm. getting into those sort of avenues as yeah. well well and I mean like as you say like the resources are out there yeah totally but they're just yeah not necessarily advertised which I think is or not like kind of people aren't aware of them yeah you know? and it's yeah it's that awareness and I think again that is like that broader theme of women's sport in general there's a lot of things people just aren't aware of because mm. it's not actively being shown to people it's like a proactive thing where people themselves have to go out searching for it yeah which I mean is hard for people who are volunteering their time on top of everything else in their life oh yeah totally and I totally understand that so many clubs especially like in Wellington um most of them are volunteers like 90% of them are volunteers you'll have maybe one or two employees per club around the place and you're lucky to have any more than that yeah and when you do have an employee of the club, a lot of the stuff gets put on to them because, you know, they're getting paid so they may as well do all the work kind of thing. Yeah. But then, you know, with those volunteers, we know that they're doing all of this stuff in their spare time. So they probably don't have the spare moment to find the specific avenue of resources that might be out there. Mm. So it would be so great if all of that stuff was just packaged up and provided to every club yeah, and be like, this is what you can do for this, this and this. And, you know, it, it would, it's so much work for a club, but it could be, you know, the same amount of work for someone that sits higher up and be able to distribute each. And yeah. Regionally and reach yeah. a lot more people. No, for sure. And I think that's a really good point. And like, it's definitely on its way. Like, mm. I don't want it to sound like we're complaining or like <laughs> moaning or anything. But yeah, right now, like there are massive changes, and as you say, like it's good to know that there are actually resources out there in the first place. Because yeah. ten years ago, there weren't those resources. So oh, we totally. are heading in the right direction for sure. And like, like everyone just needs to be of the understanding that improving women's football improves football in general. Like, yeah. having more girls play, having more women play makes football across the country just better you know it means that in essence if we get more young girls playing if we get more you know youth players playing if we get more women playing it'll end up making the football ferns stronger it'll end up making all of our rep teams stronger it'll end up making you know the the national secondary school competition stronger like it'll make everything stronger yeah and I think that that's what people want to see you know they they see you know there's always that sort of thing like oh we people don't put funding you know women don't get paid the same because it's just not as popular and we know that that's not the case it's just like, not true it's just not true anymore yeah and like it might have been true back in the day but it's just not true you see all of the games being played overseas and they're sold out stadiums you yeah know, like well, absolutely even, packed and yeah like you cannot claim that women's football doesn't draw in the same amount of revenue as men mm. like and anyone who is still trying to claim that like, come on, mate! You're showing <laughs> you're showing your kind of bias there, and yeah. you're showing your 
your personal kind of opinion rather than fact. Yeah. I don't think people realise how many people are going to be in this country in a few months' time. For the, oh, mate. Well, I mean, yeah, speaking of the FIFA, FIFA and Women's World Cup, it's coming Literally, up. It's, it's what? Oh, two I'm months excited. away now? Dude, absolutely I'm, I'm actually going to Sydney for the final. Are you? Stop yeah. it. I was looking at flights the other day. Yeah. And I was thinking, it was like, flights booked. I have family that live in Sydney, free amazing. accommodation. Winning. Yep, going for like a whole week. Gonna oh, stop it. Gonna ask for spending money for my birthday. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that's gonna be mental. And But also, yeah. like, having quarterfinals, finals, round of 16 games in yeah. New Zealand, like, just literally down the road. Yeah. Pretty. I think I think we're going to like six games all up. We're going to four pool play games in the quarterfinal that's in Wellington and yeah. the final. Yeah. Well, I mean, tickets are what like twenty, thirty bucks for games. Literally, they're so cheap. It's ridiculous. They're so cheap. Why wouldn't you go? Exactly. Like, um, if every little girl that has some sort of interest or plays football isn't there, like, what? what are you doing yeah it's literally they're so cheap it's so accessible like just go yeah well not even every little girl but like everyone in New Zealand yeah like why, like, why are you not going yeah <laughs> and like why wouldn't you support our girls and you know and I think maybe that's maybe that highlights something but like even not even our football fans but some of these other teams have gone through so damn much to get to this World Cup. Yep. And the fact that they're coming to our shores for them is such a massive deal and the trials yeah. and tribulations that they've faced to get here. Like we as a country should show up in support of yeah. those women and the, what they've gone through to just play totally this agree. game. <laughs> Um, the beautiful game. <laughs> the best game on the planet. Um, and, like, how have you found the build-up to the World Cup as someone who's pretty involved in football, so you're pretty aware of what's going on? Mm. Like, how have you found it in Wellington, New Zealand, just, like, in general social media? I definitely think that there could be more, and I definitely think it could be, like, fizzed up heaps more. Yeah. Because I don't think people realise that, like, we're probably never going to host a men's FIFA World Cup. Oh, absolutely like, not. Like, Never. And this may not ever happen again. Like, I'd say we'll never host a women's FIFA World Cup ever again. Probably not. So this is a a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for this country. Yeah. And, like, this should be, like, the biggest deal, you know? Yeah. This is huge. And, I mean, yeah, it's interesting you say, like, definitely could have been more. And I think, like, a prime example of that. And Australia actually... I hate to say it, but beat us out on this one. With the <laughs> King's coronation recently, they sent Sam Kerr. Oh, yeah. Their, yeah. Um, national representative. Isn't she awesome, though? Yeah. Oh, she's <laughs> absolute legend of the game. I she's... want them to make the final just so I can watch Sam, Sam Kerr. Kerr. Oh, she's an absolute... Her playing style is just absolutely ridiculous. She's a weapon. Yeah. It's, oh, it's so rude. Anyway, but... Like, they sent her as, and it's, like, gained massive attention because, yeah. one, she's massive in women's football, but she's starting mm. to become a massive Australian icon as well. Yeah, absolutely. Which is, like, amazing for the sport over there. And yet we sent Richie McCaw. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, it was like, yeah, I, like, hey, I'm a massive fan of Richie McCaw. Love Richie. As is anyone in this country. But 
Why aren't we capitalising on Why the aren't... biggest thing we're going to get? In yeah, <laughs> like we have some amazing girls in our football firms who have either played for years or are like up and comers at the moment doing amazing things overseas. And what, like, I think that was a massive missed opportunity, mm. not only for promotion of the World Cup, but also like for promotion of our girls. Yeah. Like, yes, our girls aren't doing too great right now, but like, we still need to get behind them and support them. Yeah, Because eventually they are going to do amazing. And, and we don't want to miss out when they do. <laughs> exactly. And it's like, what, you're only going to be a fan for when, when they're, they're successful? Winning? Yeah. yeah. That doesn't, that's not how it works. Like, come on. But, yeah, I just it's interesting that you point out some missed opportunities because I definitely think there's been some pretty obvious ones as a country that yeah. we maybe could have. All in all, though, on – Freaking excited. So excited. <laughs> like, absolutely fizzed. And to have, like, the USA team. Oh, my God. I'm watching the USA Netherlands <sighs> game here in Wellington. I'm really excited for I that one. I missed out on tickets. So, like, <laughs> oh, did you? If anyone wants to send tickets my way, like, please do, because I'm going to have to find oh. the resale tickets somewhere. Um, yeah, <laughs> um But, I mean, yeah, well, we've got massive, massive players, massive teams coming to New Zealand for – World Cup, but we've also got our local girls, Phoenix girls here, who, I mean, their season's just wrapped up, but mm. season kicking off pretty few months after the World Cup, which will hopefully get them a lot more fans. Yeah, I reckon that if if they do well at capitalising on the World Cup, they could get a huge amount of fan base increase from mm. it, you know, like all of those people that happen to come across the World Cup and be like, oh, women's football is actually, like, actually mean. Yeah. Oh, the the Phoenix are literally in my backyard. Maybe literally. Maybe let's go along and watch some of these games. And I reckon that the World Cup will be huge for the Phoenix if if they can do it well and really capitalise on the opportunities. Like, while, while people are here, you know, making sure that all of those girls that are in the Ferns that are also in the Phoenix, they they yeah. market that really well and make sure that people see that, you know, these players that are playing on the world stage also play in your backyard. Well, exactly. And, like, as you say, your backyard, like, the Phoenix, I mean, personally, as a member's pass holder, it's annoying <laughs> when you buy a season pass and then half the games are in Palmy or Auckland. But... It's great for the Phoenix and their visibility because yeah. if you are in Auckland, yeah. there are Phoenix games in Auckland quite often mm. and they had a couple of games in Palmy this year. Yeah. Like, again, in the A-League, it is our national team. Yeah. And we've got girls from all around the country. Like, it's a Wellington Phoenix, but we've mm. got girls from all around the country playing yeah, in do. those squads. Um, so, yeah, like, definitely hope that the World Cup kind of elevates their... Yeah, um, I'm so, I hope so too, like... I, you know, growing up in Levin and being around Wellington for pretty much all of, like, more than half my life, it's like I got told when I was about 15 mm. that there was going to be a women's Phoenix team. And yeah. we were all like, what? Like, <gasps> oh, my God. Like, yeah. that's super exciting. And then all of us little little girls who were playing in the feds, we were like, oh, my God, we're going to play for the Phoenix. Yeah. And then literally 10 years later, they have their first season as the women's Phoenix. And I was like, oh, that took a while, didn't it? <laughs> like, holy cow. And I know there were so many things that they had to had to do to get where they to get where they are now, but it was, 
you know, it was really awesome to see. And even though it took so long from the first tiny whispers that we yeah. heard about, you know, trying to get a women's Phoenix team, it's really awesome that it actually happened because, mm. like, it's been a long time coming. And for those people that have been around since, you know, ages ago, showing age. <laughs> I it's hate cool that, to see like, it happen. Yeah, I hate that, like, we're, what, mid-20s and we're, like, showing age. Yeah, like, <laughs> I'll call myself still a mid-20. <laughs> I turn 27 next month. <laughs> I mean, when does when does that's, the... That's called mid-to-late 20s. Yeah, I was going to say, when does the late 20s even start? I think it's 27. <laughs> so you're still in the mid-20s now. Yeah. Then. Um, yeah. But, yeah, like, as you say, like, it's so important for those younger girls to have that local team and, like... Like, mm. and as you say, like, even when you were that, you know, 15 year old girl, you're like, there we go. That, that's what I want to do. And yeah. it's just like, it gives you that visibility to see where you yeah, could right. go rather than like. That's the most important thing is visibility of a journey that you can take. Mm. And, you know, even if that's not the Phoenix for you, even if that's not playing for the Ferns, there needs to be visibility for every journey that you can possibly take as a young girl like if you are playing for your school team on a what a Wednesday night or whatever but you don't see yourself ever playing even for a national league side or Mm. even like a first team W league or central league side there needs to be a visible pathway for you to continue participating in your chosen sport for the rest of your life you know, yeah. like, is there a social team that you can see, that you can visibly see, so you know that you continue playing this this game that you mm. love for yeah. the rest of your life, even if you're not going to be, you know, like a yeah. Abby Ursig or a, <laughs> or a CJ Bot. Yeah, or, I mean, you know? definitely only only one of those those girls. But yeah, I mean, as you're saying, like, I think again, that's been a massive theme throughout this whole podcast so far. Is like that's why these teams are so important is mm. like showing those options and especially like having Nat Lawrence as the coach. I mean, she's unfortunately just announced she's leaving, but having a female coach in the A-League yeah, with, in the second season and, you know, we had a female coach for the Phoenix in our first season as well. Mm. Like it shows that it's possible and yeah. it just breaks that glass ceiling straight away for all these younger girls. And I think it might've been on Katie's episode, like, you may not realise it now, but in 10 years' time, mm. you'll see what impact that has. Yeah, and absolutely. Like, touching on the World Cup again, what are your predictions? Do you want to throw them out there? or? Well, I have um, like personal predictions that I want to happen just yeah. because I want them. <laughs> I would love like a, I don't know, like a Canada... Australia final. Oh, that'd be brilliant. That would be so good. Knock the US off there. Yeah, how good would that be? You know, Canada won the Olympics, right? Yeah. And then I just I just really want to see Sam Gurr play. <laughs> and because all of the games I'm going to are in New Zealand and obviously yeah. Australia are only playing in Australia. True. I'll, I'll never get to see it unless True. they make the final. I reckon they've got a pretty good shot, though. Like, so I. They're especially very good. <laughs> England losing all their players, oh, dropping like shame, flies. What yeah. A shame. Well, yeah. I mean, like England, I think would have been my pick, but now that they've lost, yeah, most four ACLs. Or yeah, something. <laughs> four ACLs. Like most of their key players, like it's maybe yeah. slipping away a bit. Um, but yeah, God. Obviously, be... the US will 
I mean, do something. It's and, a given, yeah. yeah. Although, like, they haven't been great lately under their new coach. Mm, we would, we would like to see a bit of variation. <laughs> I'd love to see someone else make the final. Yeah, well, exactly. I think it would just be nice to, like, see the US kind of actually have to work for it. Have to work for it, yeah. Yeah, rather than just kind of getting there easy breezy. Yeah. Um, Oh, so you want to, okay, so you want to Oz Canada. Yeah, I reckon they'd be pretty good, eh? I'm rooting for Australia to win. You've got to. You've got to. (laughs) We've got to partner up on this one. You've got to partner up. Yeah, fair enough. Um, Love to see the Finns make it out. Out of full play though. Yeah. They'd be, they'd be good. I think, yeah. yeah. Big ask, but it would, be, it would be very nice. And, you know. It'd be good to see. We've always got to back our girls. Um, well, I mean, thank you so much for coming on board today. Like, it's been, I mean, it's been great fun to have you on. And, I mean, no hear, hear more about kind of that local level of footy in New Zealand. Because yeah, there's a lot of space to grow in that area. And it's great to hear it from someone who's kind of, Knows what's up and been around the game for as you said, so long. <laughs> well, not that long. But yeah, no, it's been it's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Hey, no problem. And yeah, thank you to the listeners for tuning in once again. I hope you hope you learned a little bit about about that yeah local level of footy that you can find in and around your own home. So thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you again for episode six next week. Cheers. <laughs>